The Talk Shop. It is the talk shop on SAFM South Africa's news and information leader. I am Naledi Moleo. The time right now, quarter past eight, and I'm joined in studio by Gerald Williamson, director of Shaping the Learner. Always a pleasure having you. Thank you very much. Also on the line is Dr. Ian Smythe, education consultant from the UK. Actually, you're all the way in the UK. Thank you so much for giving us your time. My pleasure, Naledi. Actually, I've been enjoying your uh, your program for the last hour. So yes, Gerald tells me you've been pleasure. listening. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for joining us as well. Well, a very important discussion because a few weeks ago um, on the talk shop, we talked about dyslexia, but we, we really focused on how it can be treated. But today we speak about research conducted by a group of educational experts and it outlines the challenges of diagnosing dyslexia, especially in a country like South Africa that is so multilingual. And and so we're going to look at um, how di- di- uh, dyslexia is diagnosed in South Africa, whether that's doing any justice to those that need help, and, and what change is necessary, what change is now available. Gerald, let's begin with you and, and, and talk about what dyslexia actually is, because I understand that there are so many different definitions that it's it's actually quite difficult to just diagnose. Well, in its simplest form, it's often diagnosed as a difficulty with words, mm-hmm. ability to put words together, and for that matter, to read it, and then often to write it. Mm-hmm. That would be its simplest definition. Right. Okay, so that's that's simplified. Correct. Uh, uh, but but Dr. Dr. Smythe, maybe let's let's talk about um, how we have missed the mark in diagnosing dyslexia in South Africa. Have you missed the mark? It's a very it's a very provocative question. <laughs> and let, let me take up a point actually from your last speaker mm-hmm. um, because we're going to be talking mostly about negatives. And this is one of the things worldwide. As soon as the, the word dyslexia comes up, it one talks about negatives. Mm. But you were talking about your own experience as an entrepreneur. Mm. Did you know that there's a lot of research that says of those people in the Fortune 500, there's a very, there's a greater than 50% of those in, of those leaders are actually dyslexic. Really? But they all have very good secretaries. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm, on top of that, there is also academic research coming out of City University in London, mm-hmm. which says that the entrepreneur, the very thing that makes them dyslexic, thinking outside the box, is the very thing that makes them a good entrepreneur. Oh, that's Using exact, yeah. exactly those things that your previous speaker was talking about. Mm. And I just thought, let's start on a positive, shall we? Mm. Now, coming back to your question, have... Has South Africa missed the mark? Well, I think this is one of the things that, that Gerald and I are sort of teasing through. Mm. My, my background over the last 10 years has been looking at a, a lot of, should we say, circumstances where it's a multilingual environment. Mm-hmm. And if I give you just one example, our company is based in South Wales. Now, Wales itself is bilingual, so you've got English and Welsh. Mm-hmm. On top of that, of course, you've got to learn French. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a huge number of um, nationals coming in from example, uh, for example, in Poland. So you've got a Polish speaker, first language, mm. and then you've got, they, they have to be uh, learning English and Welsh and French, and they're dyslexic. Mm. Now, it's because of 
understanding those sort of things closer to home and in various other countries. When it came to, to Gerald and I first starting, what, four years ago, Gerald, I think it was? Correct. Um, the idea of the, the 11 national languages of South Africa did not faze me at all. And I think one of the, the examples that I would like to sort of use mm. is uh, going to where? Leicester. Leicester in the middle of England, mm-hmm. where you can go to a classroom and 95% of the kids speak Gujarati. So, in other words, it's commensurate with exactly what happens in Gauteng um, and across the country. Mm-hmm. The, 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 how should we say, the majority psychologists were saying, oh, we're worried that you're going to identify all these dyslexic individuals and we can't support them. Hmm. And we turned around and said, well, actually, no. If a child has difficulty in reading, aren't they entitled, under like, human rights, which I know you're very strong on, right. aren't they entitled under human rights actually to be taught irrespective of a label? Hmm. And their jaws dropped and they realized, yes. Yeah, and that, I think, is the same thing we're talking about here. And we can talk about the research that you mentioned earlier, later on. But it's that notion of stepping back and saying, well, why are we only going to teach those who have this particular label that few people are prepared to, to give right. anyway because it's right. so complicated? And right. I think that must be our starting point. Mm, that's so important. And, and that says a lot about... Um, how we're dealing with uh, challenges in learning for South African children, and are we? So, is that to say that we're obviously slapping the label dyslexic on a child simply because they speak a different language and are struggling with reading in the classroom, Gerald? Correct, and uh, you know, I, I must put my hat on as a South African clinical psychologist and indicate, for example, that uh, as part of our training, you know, we we are giving or use an American guide called uh, the uh, uh, Diagnostic and Statistical uh, Manual for Mental Disorder. Mm. And yet, uh, what is very glaring in that, it doesn't give any specific definitions around dyslexia. In fact, it basically includes this definition and lumps it with a number of so-called disorders and says, you've got to figure out potentially if this person has a problem. Now, as a psychologist, this was disconcerting because firstly, you know, I'm looking now to America to provide context here in Africa, mm. direction, and I'm not feeling it, as they put it, right? Yeah. Uh, because there's no clear direction. So then I get the latest edition called the fifth edition coming out now. And this is supposed to be the latest edition where thousands of psychologists from across the world sat down and came to a conclusion mm. as to what potentially my dyslexia be. And again, there's kind of a yes and no to it. One of those, for example, they, they say, well, put it under one umbrella called a specific learning disorder. And we're not going to really label it separately per se. And uh, let's just call it a, 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 a disorder of words. Mm. Right? And you got to, before you diagnose it, there's a number of things you got to look at. Yeah. Look at the medical history, the background and, and so forth, you know, social conditions. And I said, all right, if I look at the social conditions, what am I looking for? Right. Well, it's not very clear what I'm supposed to look for. And then when it comes down to the part that says, hold on, and I, I quote here for you. The current academic skills of the person must be well below the average range of scores in culturally and linguistically appropriate tests of reading, writing, 
or mathematics. And there's a psychologist and I'm sitting and I'm looking at, so where do I get an appropriate test? Right. Since nobody has given me, nobody has trained me in one. And I start realizing that, am I committing a human rights violation if I slap this label on any person in this context? Especially if you're a Swiswati speaker and I'm going to test you in English. And uh, I'm starting to say, hold on. And this was four years ago. Mm. I was severely unsettled. And I reached across the world, contacted a guy called Dr. Ian Smythe. I read up on him. And I said, you seem to be a linguistic expert. You've worked across different cultures, Chinese, etc. So yeah, I'm in South Africa. Can we start working on what is okay for South Africa? And I, tonight, we'll be able to share with your listeners the fascinating story of wading through 30,000 data sets, South African, across the languages, and coming out with an aha moment. And that is something we'd like to share with the listeners and say there is help. All right. Well, uh, before we get to the help, hmm. um, because now I've got Siswati listeners that are, th- that are thinking, well, why, why did he just mention us? <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe let's go back to the research and, and look at um, how the research was conducted, Gerald, and then, and then take us through some of the, 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 uh, the methodologies that you used, obviously, and then look at some of the, the, the themes that you looked at. I know that you looked at socioeconomic factors influencing literacy. Um, you looked at different languages. You looked at how people understand two different words in English and so forth. Correct. And I think... But, 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 if I could just interrupt my lady, sure. I want to take up Joe's uh, point a little bit mm-hmm. to, to help understand because, let's be honest, um, too many people think, oh, we'll go and get something off the shelf. And I think Joe's was getting this point across, uh, but I want to put it slightly different, differently. The DSM-5 is actually built by the medical profession. The medical profession cannot solve dyslexia. It's an mm. educational issue. They need teaching by teachers. Now, DSM-5, and the reason it comes in, uh, the, the whole specifically difficulties comes there, is that dyslexia uh, identification can be paid out of medical insurance. Mm. And therefore, you immediately are thinking cottage industry. Correct. Right. Now, since there is little funding for dyslexia identification, there's a little bit in higher education mm. now, but there's no funding. We need to think of a model that is fit for purpose for South Africa. Right. And I think that's the part that Gerald is about, about to dovetail into. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Gerald. No, no, no it's all right. It's all right. I think, Ian, you, you've covered, uh, covered a little bit of the area that I would want to talk about, but at the same time, yes, you know, we scoured the length and breadth of the country. We went into primary schools, we went into secondary schools, mm-hmm. uh, the TVET colleges, mm-hmm. now called TVET, Technical Vocation Education Training Colleges, previously FET, mm-hmm. and we formed partnerships and they used our uh, profiler tool. You may have heard that we've done the Soweto test, for example, yes. using this tool, and uh, schools used it to basically assess a range of batteries you know, from spelling to phonics to print awareness to comprehension. And the whole logic behind it, uh, Naledi, was to use uh, one set of circumstances, mm. the same voice, right, under all, uh, probably mostly the same test conditions, to look at the same rules that every child, every uh, young adult, every adult is exposed to. Mm. And based on this, we then came up with a set of, of insights and said, well... If we asked X amount of people, 30,000, to spell the word cat, right, how many 
people with each within each language group, how many people with in the gender uh, certification, how many within the different age ranges right. could do it in a certain way. So here we had the battery of the most common words spoken in the world mm. and the internet is a wonderful tool. It could give us the breakdown to tell us exactly these are the top X amount of most commonly spoken words in the world in right. English. Right. So we were able to go and incorporate some of the most common rules in that test. And so in a very simple way, for example, when we uh, were testing none words, for example, mm. which is a good indicator of a person's ability to put together sounds to form a new word. Right. Right. So MIP, MIP. Yeah, MIP. Right. It doesn't have any meaning in, mm. in English, but certainly your phonetic ability, M, A, P, P, and you could put it together. Right. And uh, Dr. Smart will now you know, just share some of the fascinating insights that we found in a test like that across mm. different countries. Dr. Smart, just over to you on this part. Thanks, Gerald. Um, <laughs> yes, so, so your listeners, uh, Naledi, would have immediately heard that you pronounced it quickly mm. without thinking. And if I said to you, how did you do it? You would actually probably struggle to work that out. Right. But we do it so quickly, so quickly. Mm. Um, but the dyslexic individual has trouble with that. Okay, and let's, let's take the, the fairly universal agreement that 10% of the population is dyslexic. Okay. Now, hold that thought a moment. Mm -hmm. So now I did a, uh, an analysis on that data set that Gerald talked about, and we found that in Africa, uh, sorry, in, um, in Ireland, 10-year-old children, 88% could actually spell that word. Mm. Okay? Now, this is going to have several repercussions here. Maybe Gerald will pick up for the, the wider, <laughs> we'll about wider literacy issues than just dyslexia. But, okay, so 88% of 10-year-olds actually got it right. Right, in Ireland. Now, in Ireland. Mm -hmm. So, now, let me ask you, what, now this is, we're talking now about FET colleges, okay? Sure. We're talking about 15 to 18-year-olds right. in South right. Africa. What percent do you think got it that word right? It should be 100. It should be. Okay, let me, let me guess. So let, me, let me say 92. That's my rough, that's my guess. Okay, eight, so 88% of 10-year-olds in Ireland, and the percentage, are you ready for this? The percentage of FET college students who got it correct was 17. What? One seven. I repeat, 17. Now, where it then gets fascinating is where, how it changes across different languages. The Afrikaans, even the Afrikaans, only got 51%. My goodness. But if we look at the Tswana, they scored 15%, and the lowest was the Enderbelli, which was 8%. Mm. And we're not talking about one or two kids here. We're talking about 214 mm. children. So, sorry, college students. So you immediately see that we've got a compound issue because we said that 10% of dyslexics, so we say that the dyslexics probably couldn't spell it. Mm. But now we look at the language groups and who is dyslexic? Right. And you immediately sure. see the size of the issue. And that's why it has to be, and I keep, we'll keep repeating it's got to be South African. Right. It cannot be imported from anywhere else. It's got to be using big data sets from across the country mm. in different language groups, in different gender groups. So we've completely overlooked 
um, the language barrier as a factor when diagnosing dyslexia in South Africa. And that for me is so sad. And, and now that you say it, you think about it and you think about um, simple things like hearing a Kosa man start uh, to speak English and how he uses Kosa grammar in speaking English. Anyone that's listening might think, oh no, he's, he's a bit off. But no, he's not. He's speaking English but using Kosa grammar. Um, you, you, and you've heard it, Gerald, too, where um, someone that's speaking about a man will say, Gerald, she, Gerald, she just came through the door. Yes. But that's because in Kosa there is no he and she. Yes. There's just Gerald, the man, or Gerald, the person. Language influence right. is very important. And one can, as Dr. Smy said, come to uh, the conclusion if, whether these patterns are significant and that could lead to a diagnosis where we say to you, well, you do potentially have a problem with words or not. I mean, uh, the data also gives us some interesting insights. For example, correlations between socioeconomic factors mm. and the mistakes that are made in uh, in the language areas, mm. right? And and so, for example, we we find one of the highest correlations is that uh, those that, for example, have uh, studied by streetlight because they don't have access necessarily to to to, to light to actually electricity etc. to do that, they potentially would show a difficult uh, a, a greater difficulty with words. Mm. Now you say, but hold on. Street lights, and we said, well, you know, we have informal settlements across the country. We have even neighborhoods in certain areas where lighting is extremely poor. Right. Did you ever think that it might have a relationship with the ability to acquire, you know, uh, 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 or the the, the efficiency with words? Mm. So we we look at all of this and we start identifying things like how students study, the employment status of their parents, etc., and uh, where they study for an exam, etc. And once you start looking at these socioeconomic factors as well, uh, uh, another picture starts emerging. And you're saying, hold on, there are patterns here. Right now, if you have a, a group of Kosa speaking students that are all potentially, or most of them, are having problems with similar sounds mm. in English, and therefore they're going to read it in that way and they're mm. going to express it in that way. So if I have to use the traditional, the traditional symptomology, of a dyslexic and just say well you're unable to read this but I'm not saying why right and I'm assuming ah. if I do go with the medical definition I that it's a potentially it. neurological disorder uh, let me just simplify it we say there's something wrong with your brain function right right, right? and uh, that is where I started scratching heads and I said hold Can't on be. Yeah. are we saying that we have a nation of mentally deficient people, neurologically impaired in many which ways? Is it the air we're breathing that is causing our neurons to fire wrong? <laughs> or is it something, or is there a difficulty with the way we're identifying this? Right. And I, I must tell you as a psychologist, it was a painful admission to say that even in my training and I'm sure all my uh, uh, fraternity of psychologists out there will tell you that if they can identify in un any undergraduate course right, even at master's level where we are given a template to identify dyslexia. Mm. And then please show me that template because I missed it in my course. Right? And for that matter, my university missed it. Sure. And for the years that I was looking for a template, a South African template, coming from a township background, I understood some of the nuances in language. And I yeah. said, but you know what? When I read slow or extremely difficult... I switched from Afrikaans to English, and it took me a couple of years to read a sentence fluently. Are you saying that at that point I was dyslexic? 
Because I really had a problem. When mm. I write a sentence, it looked gibberish. Totally gibberish at mm. times. And I was thinking, am I mentally ill? You know, because they say this, it's a and neurological disorder. And years later. And practice yeah. made perfect. Yeah. You know, I, I found a few techniques to learn how to sound words, etc. And there were. My dyslexia started improving. So, yeah, South Africa has a unique set of conditions. And, and I think that's where Dr. Smythe and our research is starting to open up new avenues and possibilities for those that have been labeled wrongly. Right. And also to be able to help them. Okay, well, well, let's talk let about let the, the solution, Dr. Spice, and, 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 and that's what we're looking for now, because the situation looks dire. You've painted a very sad picture here. You've, you've, um, you've actually already got the answer. Mm. Ironically, your, your uh, guest uh, about an hour ago had a lot of the answers, mm-hmm. um, although he may not have appreciated. I'm afraid I didn't catch his name from the African Writers Conference, mm-hmm. and I've got a couple of notes here. It's this issue that you were taking up, about it's not in the South African culture for the parents to read to the children. Mm. And this is on several levels. Now, in a lot of countries, in the UK, in America, um, it's probably changing, but certainly there's the the habit of reading, first of all, with the children. Right. As I say, especially to the children, and then with the children. Mm. Now, what happens is that people forget that the basic underlying skills, and I think Gerald was, was hinting there, that we measure the reading and, and, and spelling skills, for example. But then we, we don't stop there. We say, okay, why are they only at that level? And we go in and we look at things like, um, can they distinguish between two sounds? Can we, uh, do they do syllabification? Can they do rhyming exercises? Mm-hmm. But those are the sorts of things that begin to appear when you read to a child. When you read with the child, not to the child, mm. the child is participating mm. and they're being proactive. The, the parent can say, no, sorry, you, you pronounced that wrongly. Mm. Now, English is such a horrible language, you actually need that feedback. I, right. I, 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 a few years ago, was coming across Chinese kids who, who could only read words that they already knew. So they would be reading a biology book and come across the word chlorophyll and have absolutely no idea how to yeah. pronounce it. Yeah. That comes back to Carol's mention of the, the non-words. Mm. So that habit of reading to the, to the children is very important. Mm. But he also mentioned, for example, uh, tablets and, and saying you know, that we're moving from a culture of paper-based books to, to the tablets. So fine, Gao, uh, Gao has got all these tablets been going across mm-hmm. uh, the education sector, where are the books on them? Mm. Let's put exciting books in there, not just for the dyslexic, but for everybody to read. Now, if we want to go the extra step for the dyslexic individual to help a bit of self-teaching, we put text-to-speech on those tablets. Mm. Right, so that you're able to hear. Right. Yes, so you've got the comprehension. Because one of the things is that people say, well, uh, by the time they're 10 or 12, um, they're going in to, say, learn about geography or history mm. or, or science, but they cannot engage because they can't read the material, but what if it was on a tablet and they could listen to it, so they still have the content there, yeah. and they're given other areas of technology to help with the, the writing part. Mm. But our problem, just to sort of tidy that up, is that our research that Gerald has been talking about, our research says that, in fact, because they're missing um, 
the, the certain parts of the, the learning process. And let's be honest, there's an awful lot of good teachers in South Africa, mm-hmm. but they haven't necessarily been empowered with things like teaching phonological awareness. Right. When these kids are coming out of their first language environment, such as Zulu, to hit the English, people are assuming they have the rhyming skills, the syllabification skills, and our data says, no, they haven't. And without that, they're not getting the progress. Mm. So what Gerald, and maybe Gerald can come back in and talk about this notion of building a relationship with local partners. It's building relationships with the community, with the mayors, with the schools, with the heads, with those who are doing the, coming in specially to do interventions. So it's a, it's a team. I, I consider myself privileged to be part of that team. Mm-hmm. Gerald, do you want to take up a bit more about that sort of the notion that the intervention is about, isn't about a one-to-one. It's like a community. It's, right. it's a national approach. Uh, but also, uh, while you do that, Gerald, tell us about the dyslexia screener as well. Oh, yes. You know, and, and I'm very excited to say that together with SAFM and Yon, your show now, lady, mm-hmm. uh, that we launching in South Africa the very first African and South African adult dyslexia screener. Ugh. And one month from now, the one that parents can use to assess their own kids. And please note, the total idea of deprofessionalizing, that this is not a medical thing to go to some professional and swipe your medical aid, right, yes. to be able Ugh. to do that. But at the same time, that the approach to the assessment is based on a South African norm base and specifically that it is directive, it has advice, Mm -hmm. and it even gives you in the report links to potential help for every aspect of that. Assuming that you'd be able to use that report in conjunction with your local employer, with your teacher, Mm -hmm. etc. It's this community-centered approach to solving your literacy challenge. Right? It is not this medicalizing it and saying it's a neurological disorder. And <coughs> sorry, we haven't uh, designed a tablet yet to solve a reading problem. Stopping short of that, you know, and asking you to go and join a school where you are away from all of us and try mm-hmm. to solve your own little problem in the corner. This idea of the dyslexia screener is therefore open to South Africans. And tonight on this show, we're also inviting 200 South Africans to log on. Today, tonight, tomorrow, free of charge, and mm-hmm. just quote SAFM on the front page. You'll see dyslexia screener. Mm-hmm. You just click it and p- put in SAFM in the mm-hmm. code, and you can assess yourself and produce this wonderful, amazing report. And it's all free of charge for you, and just get a feel of what it's like. I was I was going to ask you to say the the, the, the magic word. The magic word is free. <laughs> yes, correct, <laughs> right. correct. And the key word being SAFM, right? right? And then the, this gives you an idea of potentially what it could cost to come to me as a psychologist in the private sector and mm. saying, please, uh, the teachers say I will, uh, my, my child or my adult has a learning disorder and uh, please, can you help? And I say, well, I work out, work out is potentially going to cost you five and a half thousand, you know, and you know, report writing is a big thing, etc., etc. And 10 to 1, my reports will not be able to give you detailed advice what to do with every part of right. the problem. Isn't it? If, if you potentially Afrikaans or English or Zulu or Sutu speaker or Ndebele or whatever, we would be able to say, it seems like you have a phonics difficulty. Right. Not a 
comprehension difficulty, not a reading comprehension, but a mm. phonics difficulty, you know, and so forth. And those tests are also voice guided. So you'd be able to navigate yourself through that. But I must advise the listeners, please complete the whole battery if you want a very accurate picture mm-hmm. of potentially how uh, good you are with words and potentially where the loopholes lie and the difficulties for you to help solve the problem. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity just one last time to tell us how the online dyslexia screener works again. Correct. Look, um, if you do go to www.doitprofiler.co.za and there on the front screen, you basically can click and it will take you through and it will ask you some information, mm-hmm. fill it out, and basically then follow the prompts. It's very, very easy. It, and it, the, the childhood one, which comes in a month, mm. is to help a parent do this. And you know what? Once again, we emphasize, my lady, this is about taking the tension and the stress and the, the, the pain out of families. Right. You know, it has no other intention but to do this. And the whole idea that we are working and approaching private sectors or we are potentially will be approaching even your FNB bank mm-hmm. and saying, don't you want to adopt a couple of schools and let's screen them, not just for dyslexia, but specifically for difficulties with words. And let's give these... You challenged me to yes. do the same a few weeks ago. I said, Naledi, we yes. can do, we can do 100,000 students in a week. Mm-hmm. In Kauteng alone, for example, where we have the advantage of having 40 tablets per school, Within one and a half hours, by taking a hundred schools, how many students do you think we can test with 40 tablets times a hundred? That's 4,000 every hour and a half. Yeah. In this whole week, we'd be covering a hundred thousand students. Yeah. So we have the ability to produce those instant reports, but let it be used for the correct purpose. Mm. Let teachers have access to it and let a parent see that report. And between those two parties, let them follow the guidance and advice to help remediate because it's very specific. It says you have a spelling difficulty, mm. potentially a rule problem. Right? That's why you think, look appear to be dyslexic. The Sorry? The, the other point here that I would like to, to get across, my lady, mm-hmm. is this idea that, that your, again, your first national bank person said, which is about the budgets that come out and we've got to sort of tighten our belt and, and there'll be some listeners who think, oh dear, this is another expense. Mm. Well, actually, no, it's not. It's the, the irony is that it will save money because it's about return on investment. If we're getting right. these individuals coming into FETs who are failing, Joe's got the stats in front of him of what the South African, how the South African economy is supposed to expand. It's supposed to be another a million FET students, but they're not given the being given the right education. So, again, it's this notion of being able to monitor students, mm. to, to find out where they are today, and a year later, have they progressed a year's worth of learning? Yeah, so much to gain and, 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 and very little to lose. So important. Uh, Dr. Yes. Ian Smythe, educational, education consultant from the UK on the line joining us. And, Gerald, just, just as we wrap up, um, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the, the uh, Do It Profiler website on our Facebook page. That's SAFM Radio, so that you're able to, to, to take a look at the dyslexia screener. But for those that are keen uh, to adopt schools as well, how do we get in touch with you? 
Well, on the www.doitprofile.co.za website is our contact icon. They can just do it. And I'll tell you this. You know, we say to companies, the big ones, that invest 10 million in education, and we say to them, you know, some of you put big buildings in schools, more computers, etc. Well, if I go into a school, I said, great for all of this fancy investments, and I'm mm. glad it's there, bigger classrooms, smart boards, etc. But I'd like to measure one point to see if all of this investment was worth our while. I'm asking this child to read for me, right? And then we would know, was this investment for the greater good? Because inevitably, if our kids can read, write, spell, add and subtract, mm. then we say, these are all white elephants invested in the wrong place. So evidence-driven planning yeah. is what I'm calling for. So we're asking companies, the fact that we have the technology to allow them to track, to allow them to see where the ROI goes, and to invest better, not to invest less, to be invest better, mm. right? So that we can see this change coming through. And yeah, I, I, we really, really uh, saying it's exciting that we're holding hands with a show like yours to really do revolutionary work in this country. So thank you also. No, thank you so much, Gerald Williamson, Director at Shaping the Learner. And I, and I say this all the time on the show, too much research being done on what is wrong in the country, not enough uh, uh, results and, and solutions coming out of that research. So let's do the research, but then also provide solutions to what comes out of that. Gerald, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having us. All right, you're on the talk shop on SAFM.